Yeah, and I see anxiety in the third response, uncertainty around my calling and the work I'm gifted to do. If you feel like the work you're doing isn't lining up, but you're still doing it, now you're starting to feel the sense of anxiety about like, well, what does my life mean then? What does my job mean? What am I doing? How do I get there? And I, I've seen with clients that anxiety that, that brings them to the coaching table right there. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you will find and apply God's wisdom to your work. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, and I'm joined by Ken Kennard and Sarah Evers. We aim to inspire, challenge, and equip you to follow Jesus in the vocational dimension of your life. As we begin this episode, I want to thank our generous donors who make this podcast possible. We are grateful for your support. VOCA funders sign up to change lives by changing work. And if you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, invest in VOCA. Just go to vocacenter.org give and join us today. Sarah, tell us a little bit about your recovery experience. Tell us what happened to you and why you are walking around with crutches. Well, I'm on crutches. My recovery issue is about surgery. That's the issue. I had foot surgery uh, a couple days ago. And um, I had the same foot surgery done on the other foot a couple of months ago. And now I'm having the second foot. And I have um, set up so many great systems at home to help me that I'm kind of bummed out that I only have two feet. Because, man, if I could have the surgery one or two more times, the shower chair where it needs to be, the extra bedside table, the new um, air cast cooling system that is uh, refreshing my foot with cool ice water around it. Man, my systems are awesome. But yeah, I'll be on crutches for the next three to six weeks. I can't drive for three to six weeks because it's my left, my right foot. Um, so I, I haven't gone downstairs yet. We have um, stairs separating our sleeping floor from the main living floor. So my family has brought my meals up to me. <laughs> it's a nice. little bit of a luxury, but I will say I do not do well eating soup in bed. <laughs> it just went all down my front. I felt like a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> I figure out how to change my clothes without putting pressure on my feet and crutches. So, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I'm going to be on crutches for a while. So, Sarah, what's the benefit to other people that you're recovering so well? Um, I would say my spirits are high, my humor is intact, and, um, and I have the blinds open in my room more often. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you know, in my hidey hole in the dark away. Uh, so I think that that is a benefit. You know, the, again, the bummer being I can't drive. I used to be able to put like a target order in and drive and pick it up and, and you know take care of things for my family. I can't I can't do that this time. But I think I'm more pleasant since I've set up these really great systems. That's funny. Like you, it's like you are celebrating your um, what's it called when you're you're um, you're I don't remember what it's called, but you're recover. Like I keep saying recovery, but it sounds like you were you know we had to send you away to an addiction recovery program, so that would be misleading <laughs> to our audience. Uh, we may need to do that someday if you keep, you know, sucking on all those martinis, but the, 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 just this whole convalescence, that's it, that's it, that's the word. Like, you just, like, you're thriving. Like, you're creating systems. You are, you're glowing, like... I was nesting kind of, before, this before is why, This is why you want to hire Sarah Evers, because, like, <laughs> even, you know, when she's hobbling around, she's improving the system. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. 
It's pretty it's up impressive, Ken, don't you think? Like, I just want to take as many pain meds as I can and just kind of check out with Netflix. I'm not worried about the system. Nothing, nothing will prevent her from bringing her true, enthusiastic self to the party, <laughs> even in recovery. Yeah. True. Yeah. That's true. I've got my recycling system for all my water bottles and my diet ginger ale and yeah like it's like it is a good system over in my room the only remaining question chip is if she sent a meeting invitation for the soup delivery from the downstairs to the upstairs that's the only I thing bet I, she I, she, I, she's she's right I bet she did i bet she did would you please accept this calendar invite for the soup delivery yeah. in 10 minutes it's it's on the family slack because this is yes. you know this is it's 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 too important for text or email yes or yeah. shouting you know, it has to be on Slack. <laughs> I cannot deny a good system that works. Oh, yes. uh, look at that. That's really funny. Well, that's a great segue, actually, because talking about a good system that works, we're going to talk a little bit today on this episode of uh, the Resilient Faith That Work podcast about our annual process of systematic listening. We call it the Dilemmas Project, and we do it every year. And we found it to be a part of a system that works for us because uh, one of the things that we're really passionate about when it comes to your work is helping you where it hurts. And uh, instead of just listening anecdotally to you know, what we find from friends and family and, um, and even our clients, um, we actually take a more scientific approach to that. And we uh, commission a survey, a study every year and we listen and we ask people open-ended questions and check the box questions and we really wanna know uh, what's going on in your work life, and what particularly where where is the tension? Where's the where's the where's the friction? Um, because we think if we can help you where it hurts, then it's going to really result in lasting impact. And we've been doing this. Um, I think this will be the third year we've done it at Voca, and I used to do it a long time ago, even as a pastor, um, when I was trying to help people with their work in my church. We had a very robust and uh, almost clinical approach to figuring out where the where the issues were, and there's a proverb that kind of inspires me here. It's actually a rather challenging one if if we're really if we apply it to other contexts. But it says if if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and a shame. So it's not just off, you know. It's not just off. It's like it's terrible. Like you just you know you t you've totally whiffed. So. Um, before we kind of jump into some a summary of some of the findings, Sarah and Ken, I just wonder what you think of this idea, like this listening, this robust listening. I mean, how's that? How's the value of that come up for you and your lives and your and your professional work? Well, the value of it for me is that everyone likes to talk about what a pain in the neck something is. You know, we all like to have our story of like, look, I'm in pain. Uh, and we're also now, once we've said that and cleared the deck, we're open to solutions, right? We're now listening and we're now seeking and we're now, I think even open to God in a way, you know, pain in our life makes us open to spiritual things and makes us open to hearing from God. And I think people in pain and suffering are open in a way that they're not when things are all growing up and to the right. I agree. I have a friend that asked me, he asked me a lot. It's like, what's it, what's like sort of the formula for a successful coaching engagement or just, career transformation. And I always have one answer for him and he doesn't really like it, but the answer is pain. <laughs> like there's gotta be, there's gotta be an ouchie there. You know, like if there isn't, there's no reason to invest the time and money in this process. And, and, um, 
Oh, I was just, I don't know, it was like an ink, an ink magazine or something. It just said one of the best, it might have been a Warren Buffett quote, but one of the best truisms of life is no pain, no gain. Like it's just, so we want to try and find the pain uh, and we want to do it systematically and not assume that we know, which is a whole nother thing that goes on, especially in, well, it goes on everywhere, but I think a lot of Christian ministries, we think, well, we're Christians and we know the Bible, so we know. I don't think anybody wants their work to be characterized by the words folly or shame, okay. which are right Good. from that proverb <laughs> that you quoted. Um, and so I, when I think about the, the, the way that we want to meet people at their pain points, um, it is quite a presumption to think that we know what their pain is. So this annual survey allows us to listen and to create resources, articles, um, coaching paradigms, group coaching sessions, um, webinars that actually hit those pain points and not what we think are pain points. And so we're not spinning our wheels and we're not uh, putting out content or resources or opportunities for people that don't meet the needs. So I, I find this to be a, a great rhythm because then we can really listen and hear. Um, and uh, again, our work then doesn't have to be characterized by folly and shame. Yeah. It's a lot less lonely, too. I'm thinking of that Beatles song, All the Lonely People. Father McKenzie preaching a sermon that no one will hear. You know, this whole a tragic disconnect um, from what we have to, what well, all of us have to offer and what people need. So, so we're not going there. So let's just let's jump in. I just want to give you guys a couple highlights of some of the findings, and then you can you can steer us. What what do you want to talk about first? We are going to do detail podcasts on um, on on some of the most salient topics that have arisen from this. But I, we're just going to give you a high level in this episode, and and to kind of capture some of our initial reactions as we think about it. So um, I'm just going to break it into two spots. So one is what's the same, and where are the shifts, and then. Ken and Sarah, you guys can direct us as we process this a little bit. So what's the same? Well, uh, work-life balance or my work is overly demanding and burnout are the top two. Uh, they have been really since we started doing this in a more systematic way. Uh, burnout edges out uh, work being overly demanding this year by one percentage point. But they're basically, so it's the same thing, you know, it's in, in my mind. So that's what stayed the same. So maybe that's something we want to talk about. The other, the other thing is that there are three shifts um, that have occurred from last year to this year. Uh, the first shift um, is that last year, everybody was deciding whether or not to quit their job, and it was just that clear. Am I going to quit my job or not? This year, people are saying, uh, I'm not sure what my calling is or my purpose is, or I'm not feeling motivated in my work. So that's a little different you know, from the, the great resignation, should I stay or should I go now? line, which was very, very common. And over probably 30, 35 percent of the U.S. workforce changed jobs in the last 18 months. So it's huge. So the second shift is that uh, there's a lot of energy around, um, we actually call it misalignment uh, with uh, corporate values. Some felt their, their corporate corporations were too progressive. Some thought they weren't progressive enough. So there was a lot of range, but there was the same feeling. I'm not aligned with the corporation's values, and others reported feeling criticized for their faith values. Uh, those two were in the top six last year, and neither registered very highly this year. Instead, what we saw, people were saying, oh, I'm trying to figure out how to bring redemption. 
to my workplace and industry. So that's an interesting shift. And then a third shift is uh, people reported, I'm trying to figure out whether or not I should work from home or return to the office uh, last year. And this year, um, that didn't register either. Uh, what, what, re what replaced it was I'm dealing with the talent talent challenges. I may be a person that's trying to hire people and I can't find them. I may be a person that has to pick up the pieces because people have left. Um, so that's another shift. So we have these three shifts um, that have occurred uh, year over year. So the quitting my job replaced by questions about calling and meaning, uh, tensions around values and that, that type of stuff replaced by a desire to be more positively redemptive. And the last is the questions about work from home or return to office replaced by just dealing with the talent challenge. So where do you guys want to start? What's the same? What's changed? One of the shifts? Let's talk about let's talk about what's the same. I mean, it's pretty easy to see from 2022, um, the previous year, that if work is overly demanding and takes too much of your life, what's that going to lead to? Burnout. And so both of those are sort of sister problems in the same vein. And... Um, what makes me wonder is how long is that going to be at the top? Um, you know, what it's a natural reaction, right? What happened with the pandemic? We all lost our jobs, couldn't work for a while. Even if we had our job, we couldn't do anything with it, a lot of us. And so we overreact and now we overwork and we panic and we don't want to be without money and we don't want to be without security. And so I know people that are just overworking, taking on multiple jobs. Um, but if it's an overreaction, that means it has a side effect. It reminds me of my grandmother who lived through the Great Depression. And even long after the Depression was over and she no longer needed to be so frugal, she was still being so, in my view, unreasonably frugal that it actually had some side effects. The, um, the one I remember the most is going to her house and sitting on a beautiful sofa that she had completely wrapped in plastic. So it was so uncomfortable and she was trying to preserve it for a long time. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like now no one can enjoy it for its entire life because it's so protected that it doesn't work as a comfortable sofa anymore. But she was so concerned about it lasting a long time because it was expensive and you wouldn't want it to be damaged or used. Um, so it makes me wonder if I'm like my grandmother in a way, am I overreacting? Am I, is there some side effect to this sort of helter-skelter uh, saying yes to overly demanding work uh, and it's just burning me out? Do these dilemmas hit close to home? Don't wait. Schedule your free consult with a VOCA coach today to start your journey towards better work. It's interesting. I was at, I, you know, VOCA hosted a panel in Dallas last week, and we had our friends David Ridley, who's a boomer, and Reed and Heidi Rasmussen, who are Gen Xers, and they said, "This is this is just always it's always been this way. <laughs> you know, like that, it's not actually a post-pandemic thing per se. That it's it's just as they look back on their careers, uh, and David's now been retired since 16, um, so he did most of his work in the 80s and 90s and early." Thoughts. like it's always been a challenge to figure out how to right size work are we are we just a culture that overworks i don't know sarah what do you think well i was just today coincidentally reading an article about the um, new study that was done in the uk the biggest study of its kind on the four-day work week and how in the u.s 
we haven't, uh, the 40 hour work week was instituted in the late 1930s and there has been no change to that. Um, and so people are now making a claim that maybe it's time to adopt a four day work week. It's becoming a little bit of a perk that some organizations are beginning to offer. Um, and what they've seen is that um, the mental health and of their employees has gone up, productivity went up, and um, general happiness went up during it. There, there were some, some downsides to it. So some people had a hard time figuring out when to get their work done. They were pulled into other meetings. They had to cover for other people, which kind of hits into our shift, one of our other shifts. But it is an interesting thing to think about what you know, if everybody's burned out and work is too big, whether it's a it's a pandemic problem or an endemic problem, the way that we address work, what what would a four day work week do for us? For some people, I think we'd go a little stir crazy. Are you you're looking at me when you say that? I am, Chip. I am looking at you. For the benefit of our listening audience, I am staring red lasers into Chip's picture on my screen. <laughs> So I think I was talking to somebody recently. They were they were talking about how their dad was a farmer and how he worked all the time. Like you have to work every day. If and if you're a dairy farmer, you, like you have to milk cows every day. Like they, it's it'll kill them if you don't. Like it's it's just part of being a farmer. And he talked about how how hard he worked and how he learned to work hard. And um, so I don't know. I wonder if it's more about the way we're working and the way we. The actual, the actual experience, the lived experience of work that's burning us out more than the hours. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> when I think about farm work, which I'm not an expert in, but I think of it as being tied to the natural rhythms of the day and the week and the seasons. Uh, there's a certain steadiness to it. When I think of modern work, I think of the panic and the anxiety and the things that are beeping and blinking and grabbing our attention and we're kind of constantly jerking around from this thing to that thing. I think there's a little bit of a frenetic anxiety in modern work that isn't there with milking the cows. The Bible calls it anxious toil. Mm -hmm. Psalm 127, I think. Don't eat the bread of anxious toil. That There could be toil that's lots of hours and or demanding, but it's not driven by anxiety. But then there's a different kind that's driven by anxiety. Well, that anxiety issue brings things up for me because I think about how so many, uh, the mental health crisis in our nation, not just with our young people and how many kids have really struggled with anxiety during the pandemic and post-pandemic, but even adults, um, the, you know, you talk about don't eat the, the bread of anxious toil, how many of us are toiling in anxiety, whether it's anxiety about being able to provide for the future, anxiety about our performance, anxiety, generalized anxiety. That's, ooh, there's something we could double click on if it came up in our results in our survey, because we don't want to move into folly and shame with what we create. <laughs> well, I think we need, we are, this is, that's a good, just let's put a pause on that because we need to go deeper into this. Uh, we've talked about burnout. We've talked about work-life balance before, but they're not going away. And that means we're not going away uh, in terms of our attention and our time spent on those topics. We we need to spend some more time on them because they're not going away. And it doesn't, you know, it seems like all of us, including the three of us and our listeners, uh, would do well uh, to double click on that topic. Yeah, and I see anxiety in the third response, uncertainty around my calling and the work I'm gifted to do. If you feel like the work you're doing isn't lining up, but you're still doing it, 
now you're starting to feel the sense of anxiety about like, well, what does my life mean then? What does my job mean? What am I doing? How do I get there? And I, I've seen with clients that anxiety that, that brings them to the coaching table right there. And it might be enhanced or not enhanced, but amplified by what some people are calling the great regret. You know, people did the great resignation and they left their job by the millions and then they realize, oh, you know, this still sucks. You know, so it's, you know, wherever I, I, I go, I, there I am. That's, but that's it, isn't it? Say more about that, Sarah, that wherever I go, there I am effect. Well, I, I think a lot of people quit their jobs because they didn't like their job or they thought their boss was the problem or they thought their environment was the problem or they thought their workload was the problem. Uh, but what often happens is we change one situation and we just trade that set of problems for another one. And the, the consistent thing there is me. So um, I bring my bad habits or I bring my suspicion or I bring my, um, my anxiety about deadlines or I bring, I bring my stuff to work all the time and it's just a different set of people, a different set of KPIs, a different set of deliverables. So I think there is a bit of a problem there when we assume all of the issues are external and we don't ever look at what, what's internally happening. What, what am I what am I able to do? What am I qualified to do? What am I gifted to do? Um, and, and who am I in the essence of my being that I was created to be so that I can, I can, I can move forward in the, in the fullness of my redeemed self and really um, bring what God has designed me to bring to the world, the difference that he's designed me to make, the, the presence, the redemptive presence he's called me to be. Yeah, it's almost like this is an opportunity, this shift um, from, well, I just think I'm going to quit. Like it was a frenzy, you know, it was like, oh, I can go there or I can go there. And my friends are doing this and it's it's an opportunity now for deeper work. Well, and I think that's a, that's a good thing for our culture too, to do deeper work. We've lived so much on the surface of whether it's you know, calling out people or being called out or, or living at such a... Um, a, a name-calling junior high level with our our politics and our media. And I'd love to see us do a little bit of the maturity work, some of the deeper work, the internal work, to find a little bit more grounding, a little bit more stability, a little bit more maturity. Yeah, and, I, and I'm hearing from the survey, we just talked about listening, what I'm hearing is that people are more ready now than they were last year. That's one of the shifts, to do some of that deeper work, bringing redemption to brokenness within my company or industry, that's a that's a deeper spiritual work to figure out um, who am I? How do I bring a redemptive presence? Um, yes, I bring myself to work to your point, but that's not all bad, Sarah. That can be good. Uh, there can oh, be yeah. things there can be things that I bring to that new organization if I'm willing to enter into it um, and bringing God's redemptive um, power to work that could make a positive difference. And I, and so maybe, maybe it's taken a few uh, months or a couple years of, of rage quitting to realize, wait a minute, maybe there's a better approach. Yeah. And I think that um, when we have a different vision for ourselves in the workplace, not as somebody who just needs to get this job done or needs to make money for my family. But when I see that my work is a gift from God, then I can see myself as an embedded believer in that organization. I can see myself as a redemptive presence 
in that organization, in that company, on that floor, in my neighborhood, in the city, in that town, right? And, and it, it elevates and gives dignity and purpose and meaning to the work that I'm doing because I see myself partnering with God to bring goodness and wholeness and, and redemption. And I, that is a, that's a shift to move out of panic mode, whether it's from the pandemic, but you move out of panic mode of I need to get what I need to get while I can get it. Um, and find a better job to, I need to do, um, I need to live out who I am and live out my calling um, and finding that well, calling. It, yeah, right. So we got, we have that, we have that calling and sense of what work am I made to do, designed to do, gifted to do, which is that, and then we also have that calling, like what am I called to do as a Christian in society and what's that mean? How do I live that out in my company? And it, there is a shift there. Part You guys have been talking about the positive side uh, that there's more of an aspirational question of how do I be redemptive? I think that's great. I mean, I think that's a great development away from my Christian values aren't being honored at work, which was a finding before, or just a misalignment with corporate values, which went, as I said earlier, went could go either way on the political spectrum. Those are defensive answers, I think, and and topics, and figuring out how to be redemptive is positive. We were We were processing this specific shift uh, with some of our research partners a few weeks ago, and um, one of them thought, maybe, why has this changed? You know, we were just talking about a little bit about why this why this has changed, and there is some there is some commentary out in the in the uh, interwebs about the idea that uh, some of the intense the intense polarization of the early like the pandemic and early pandemic has kind of died down a little bit. And then there was another, just in general, like it's just kind of, it's just kind of died down. There's another idea that came out too, though, that Americans have sorted themselves geographically over the last two or three years. There's been a lot more moving and relocating, and people are relocating to be with people like them. Um, and so they're, and they're, they're working and they're, they're finding places to work um, that where the, they're more aligned. Uh, culturally and with value. So they're, if they're progressive, uh, they're finding a progressive company. And if they're not, they're finding a not like it's, and it's, it's become, so there is a, a decharging of some of the, of the conflict because we're avoiding it <laughs> by where we choose to live and where we choose to work. I, I have a few anecdotal stories that kind of reinforce some of that I don't know about you guys, but it's just kind of it's just kind of an interesting thing, and I don't know how much it really matters, frankly, because I think um, if people are really seeking how to be redemptive, that that sounds like a win to me. Yeah, I think there's two trends going on simultaneously there, Chip. First of all, I think that the moving to be with people that are like you is a trend that's been going on for a while. I think it's just been probably accelerated in the last maybe three or four years. But um, the counter trend is that we're more and more of us are working remotely. And so what I see in some of our corporate clients is that whereas they used to have everyone working geographically in the same neighborhood, which means if you wanted to work with that company, you were living with those people. Now you're dispersed workforce, you're living with this company, or you're working with this company, but you're living in this community. And so you're getting a workforce that actually is potentially more diverse as people are reinforcing their own values by virtue of where they live and the community they associate with. Very interesting. Well, it's great. There's gonna be a lot to unpack as we get into the 
as we double click on some of these in future episodes. One, one last thing, which was a shift for us uh, this year, was we asked a new question. Uh, we asked a question about joy. What brings you joy in your work? And over half of respondents, 56% said that it's having an impact on people. And when we dove down into that and what they meant by impact on people, it was things like um, helping people. It was serving others. It was seeing others succeed. It was uh, the connections that come when you work as part of a team and you get to know each other and you're doing something worthwhile together. What first take on that from each of you guys? Is that How does that ring? Or how does that land, I should say? <laughs> well, it's it's reminding me of all the college students that I've I've talked to recently and asked about why why do they want to do a particular job, and they say I want to do this job, fill in the blank whatever the job is uh, because I really care about helping people. That's what they say. And uh, <clears throat> what's interesting to me about that is that um, that's the definition of work. That's what work is. Work is helping people, <laughs> whether you work with a machine or whether you work directly as a nurse or mental health care provider or social worker or, you know, it, the person who takes out my trash is helping me. The person who fixes my computer is helping me. The person who just this morning fixed the leak in my toilet so my basement isn't flooded is helping me, right? And I don't, I, so I think that's universal. I, I think that if, if you're not helping people in some way or if you're not bringing a better place to be, making Earth a better place, uh, then I question, well, is that really a job? Like, uh, But I think that's inherent to us. We want that. We want to make a difference. We want our work to matter, don't we? Yes. <laughs> I would say yes. We want our work to matter. Uh, and, you know, introvert or extrovert, people person or task person, I think there is something about um, our greatest joy from work coming from our impact on people, I, I think about how that just reflects the Trinity. Right? God is a relational God. God, um, God is in relationship all the time and um, in, in great joy in that satisfied community. And uh, he made us to image him, to represent him, to represent him, present him again on this earth. And I think that it's not all that surprising to see that that people find their greatest satisfaction, the greatest joy in work and impacting people. That's, that's how we were made to, um, to be in community and connection and to, to help and serve each other. So I'm, I'm not surprised by that. And, and, the, and the opposite is also true that if you don't have any clear vision of how your work matters to people, then that might be a source of pain to, to circle back to your, your, your point, Chip. And it might be hard to see how your work matters to God. If you can't see how your work matters to people, it could be hard to see how it matters to God. I just talked to a potential client uh, yesterday and her situation, um, she went into the field of her choice, but she realized that the firm that where she was working, um, the discipline really wasn't about helping people. It was about, well, it was, but it was kind of like, they just did some work for some very, 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 wealthy clients was kind of their their market and it just felt like it wasn't really helping society it wasn't really it didn't it didn't it didn't ring the bell in terms of meeting that qualification of being truly helpful and she's very dissatisfied 
after eight years of intense and very, very, very high quality education. So it's kind of, it's an interesting craving that we all have. And I think, um, so again, I think this is actually a great finding. Like this is exciting um, to think through and help people map out how does my work bring good to others. Like um, we say every, every venture should, every, every, every venture, every legitimate business or organization should provide services that actually serve and goods that are actually good. And if you can connect those dots, then you can really find meaning on a day-to-day -day basis. And even if it's not, uh, the actual job that you do isn't thrilling uh, in the moment, it's still, there's still value in it. And so then there's that sense of, I'm not wasting my time, I'm not wasting my talent. Um, even if I'm simultaneously looking for something that's gonna be better in the long run. So, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it fits with scripture. It also fits with a Harvard study, but scripture came first, so uh, we'll, we'll stick with that. Well, great, guys. It's great to kind of preview uh, the dilemmas this year and, and process through this a lot. I'm, I'm excited uh, by, the facts, by the facts of what we found. I'm excited that a few things are the same and a few things aren't, and I'm excited in the, some of the trends that I think we see uh, developing in terms of Really, you know, hunger for understanding our created identity and our purpose and living that out in the context of work, I think um, it's going to be really fun uh, and valuable to unpack these over the next few episodes. Thanks for listening. As we close this episode, I'm going to use the H word, help. First, help us help you. Do you want to grow in your effectiveness as a worker and a leader? Are you wondering if you're in the right job or career? Maybe you lead a team and wonder how to make that better. Go to vocacenter.org consult for an easy scheduling link and book your appointment with one of our great coaches today. We are ready to help you. Second, help us help others. This podcast is brought to you by generous donors who change lives by changing work through their investment in Voca. If you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, donate to VOCA. Go to vocacenter.org give and begin your partnership today. We'll see you next time on the VOCA podcast, where we help you build resilient faith at work.